0: Senior Focus Welcome everyone to this session of Senior Focus. I'm Anne-Marie Curie. I'm your presenter today and our topic is the uh, post-COVID economic situation in Auckland and last time we talked about the budget in terms of central government and its initiatives and this time we focused on our own local region and our own neighbourhoods. And I have in the uh, studio with me Richard Norby as our guest. And Richard, welcome.
1: Thank you, Anne-Marie. Good to be here.
0: Yes, and Richard is the chair of the Waitemata Local Board. He's a former MP and a policy submission writer for many community-based organisations like the Problem Gambling Foundation and ADCOS, the Auckland District Council of Social Services. So I thought, Richard, you have worn many hats in your time and have made difficult decisions and sometimes you've had to look at both the short-term and the long-term impacts of those decisions before you've made them. So I thought that you're a very uh, excellent candidate to have as our guest this time uh, looking at the choices the council faces uh, with its reduced income with uh, so so many uh, sources of income like um, not just rates but um, events and uh, hiring of buildings and um, all kinds of other ways in which the council derives income um, and the airports and uh, uh, the airport and the ports authority and so on, shares that are held, uh, all those um, sources of income uh, are all down. So the choices that are coming out in terms of consultation to the public, Uh, the level of of the rates, should it be a a 2.5% increase or a 3.5% increase. And I thought maybe that that would be a good starting point for talking about the general choice that the council has and the way it's going about things. But before before we just get into that discussion I would like to say to the listeners that um, the senior community I think has been quite well served by the council under this um, COVID-19 emergency in the sense that they've put the library staff to good effect in terms of getting them to ring seniors and I know while there are some people who've fallen through the cracks there's been a lot of people been contacted and a lot of people have received food parcels and, and there's been quite a bit of follow-up. So I'm very impressed with the Council's efforts in this area and I think that overall uh, things have, have gone quite smoothly for such a, a major disruptive impact uh, of something like COVID-19. So looking ahead at these choices around the rates... Uh, maybe we could just focus in on on which level would have which sort of um, impact both on it's, it's, it's only a small amount of money per week per person uh, per household. but the impact uh, and the difference in what that spend would mean is I think quite big and I would like you to tease that out if you could, Richard.
1: Yes. Well, because the um, council's lost over $500 million from its non-rate sources, the bus fares, the bookings for the facilities, the dividends from the port and the the airport, it's coming up with an emergency budget that'll be consulting on from this weekend for three weeks till the 19th of June. And basically, um, they say... There are four things that can be done. Um, We can increase the council's debt, which is what solution that I favour for the short term. We can cut council services, that's the second one. We can cut back on what the council's building in terms of infrastructure, or we can sell um, assets um, or lease them out. So those are the four choices. And there are already big cuts significant cuts going to be made um, so if the rates rise by 3.5% then the, the library hours will be cut by about 38% if they're cut by if the rates only rise 2.5%, then the library hours will be cut by about 50%. So there's a list of things, services that we cut at a 3.5% rate rise and much more significant cuts if it's more. So our own local board spending is going to be cut by 10% on our services and projects if the rates rise as 2.5%. will be cut by 20% if it's 2.5%. So there's a list. I mean, one of the differences between the 3.5% rate rise and the 2.5% rate rise is that the um, hop card uh, concession, the the seniors' concession of free fares, would finish at 3 o'clock like some other cities. It would no longer apply from 9 o'clock onwards. If the rate rise is only going up 2.5%, then that's one of the things that are in the list, is to is to charge uh, pensioners for their bus rides after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So there's, there's, there's quite significant differences in what can be achieved. Even at 3.5%, there are going to be some significant cuts in services.
0: Uh, uh. I think you've um, focused on two things that are highly relevant to seniors, the hop card and the libraries, because the libraries are just an extraordinary resource for communities and seniors are major users of the libraries. So if there was a 50% cut, I think that would be very detrimental overall. I mean, any cut would be detrimental, but a 50% one would be just extraordinary. So I think that's something people need to be aware of because often when they're, they're thinking about the rate rises, they're thinking, oh, well, you know, I, I can't afford any rise, but I'll go for 2.5 without actually um, being very aware of the detail of, of what these cuts might cover
1: that's right, and, and it sounds a small difference. Uh, I mean, I think what the council's done the right thing by greatly extending provision for rates postponement for people who can't afford to pay their rates, mm. and a lot of older adults who who living in, in in homes that have become quite valuable over time have been able to uh, access. Uh, Postponement of of their rates, with the council taking some equity in their property in, in response to that. So, and that's going to be extended to businesses um, as well, so that those who can't genuinely can't afford these rates can have them postponed. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a better solution than cutting back for everybody. Because although a lot of people have lost their jobs or their businesses are fragile, a lot of those are who are on, National Super or other static income are no worse off than we were before, and but we would be worse off if those services um, which go most to the people who are vulnerable and need them are cut back savagely. And um, in this in this consultation round, I'd urge that people make submissions to the council, pick up a form at their library, and say they don't want their services cut and they're prepared for the rate rise to be three and a half percent.
0: Yes, I think this is a very strong message, and uh, some people will need help with going online to make submissions, um, but I, I guess that there will be hard copies available at libraries as well.
1: That's right,
0: yes. Yes, so that would be a really good um, situation uh, for people to get into the libraries and get help from the librarians too. Um, be able to get their submissions in. And you said the 19th of June is the
1: closing date. That's right, yes. Mm. So it's just three weeks, you know, the council's doing the best it can to totally revise its budget as a result of the impacts of COVID and so drastically reducing its income.
0: Mm. Well, I guess that the thing is that it is like... It's like the 1930s. It's 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 massive. This is having a, a global um, impact across all societies and all countries, and uh, we're no exception. So, in terms of job losses and um, infrastructure being uh, reprioritised in different ways, um, there, there's all sorts of Uh, projects are going to take on a different sort of priority from before, Uh, but I guess also it's quite difficult to see in the medium term what um, the shape of business will be like, what businesses will uh, survive, and uh, in fact how how that will impact itself on communities.
1: Well, every um, every government makes the choice in a depression like this as to whether they take the austerity route, cut back on services, um, or whether they endeavour to maintain people in, in work and in business and spend more in the short term, borrow more in the short term, um, so that we can recover. And, and history showed in the Great Depression it was... Uh, you know the Republicans in the U.S. and the and the conservatives in Britain that and in New Zealand, uh, the reform government. It, you took the austerity route, and things just got worse and worse because people didn't have the purchasing power; they didn't have the money to buy goods to keep businesses going. So, they tended to spiral downwards. Whereas the government here has already uh, you know subsidized businesses and workers so that they can remain uh, in work to the extent that they can and have purchasing power to pay at hospitality venues at do domestic tourism and buy retail goods to keep businesses going and that's very much the solution I want. I don't want the Auckland Council to go the austerity route and act against what the government and what most business leaders want us to do to keep the economy going. So Mm. they they pose more cuts than are necessary.
0: Well, it's been um, quite interesting to see the negotiations that are going on with the staff and how many have taken voluntary pay cuts. I think 75% of uh, Auckland Transport has taken voluntary pay cuts. That's above the 100,000 earning mark. And um, I gather that Watercare are looking at theirs and certainly within the Auckland Council staff itself, it has been quite a significant um, uptake amongst the staff in terms of this voluntary cut.
1: We've um, got a message from David Rankin, the acting CEO of Panuku, saying they're doing the same.
0: Mm. Yep. So the consistency across the CCOs alongside the council in terms of all this effort, I think is all uh, as well. And I particularly like the fact that the staff on the arts and culture and events Teams who are not going to be um, fully employed at all, um, because there's no a lot of their work is completely dried up with no, no events being run, uh, they are taking three months leave without pay and uh, hanging on to their jobs, and that seems to me very to be a very practical outcome, something that uh, you know really preserves the employment but it actually looks at the fact that the council um, you know doesn't need to be paying for what services it's not running so I'm impressed with the the level of due due diligence and effort that's gone into to be practical and mindful of both people and their well-being and uh, the community and and not losing all that um, intellectual capital, all that um, staff knowledge and uh, knowledge of communities and so on because it's quite difficult to replicate that later
1: That's right. down the track. Yeah, to get those people back. Um. So the Waitamata local board, for instance, where very reluctant to see our budget and spending cut. And in the arts, we've got two particular projects. One of them is is a partnership with TAPAC, the Performing Arts Centre in Western Springs College Grounds. Mm -hmm. So we assist, we help fund TAPAC, which helps people to develop careers in the performing arts, trains people in, in the performing arts and supports them. And that's something where we need a lot of employment in the future, particularly among young people. And the other project is the Arts Spaces Coordinator. And this is a person who works with people who want um, to set up studios in the visual arts or or creative industries Uh in the central city because there are a lot of spaces becoming vacant in Karengapi Road, Ponsonby Road, Queen Street because... Businesses are closing down, um, so the space is there, and the landlords are obviously desperate to get people in there, even if they're only paying half as much rent as the business before them. So we're really keen to assist uh, both the landlords, but more particularly the young visual artists, the young creatives, into cheap space in the central city to start developing their talents and skills. So we hope we're our budget isn't cut by the 20% that the 2.5% rate rise would represent because we'd find it very difficult to afford to continue those two really important programmes for um, preserving and enabling uh, young people to get into work in the... Uh, performing arts and in the visual arts and, and older artists too who, who want to, um, after retirement they want to move into a new sort of career in the arts, that's great too
0: Well there's nothing more
1: important than um, the
0: well-being of the community uh, and, and the facilitation of the uh, creative arts sector because that's the sector that's got the most um, applicable Practicality in terms of improving things like social isolation, um, improving mental health and wellbeing, and this uh, with COVID nineteen. I mean, what has actually been one of the biggest impacts has been the level of anxiety in the population. Now. I remember going to conferences internationally and hearing doctors talking 10 years ago saying, oh, we've got unprecedented levels of anxiety. We've never had people living so anxiously since World War II. uh, But it's not recognised. It's treated more or less individually, but it's more to do with the um, lack of supports in society as we've um, got such a strongly individualistic Economy. Now, with um, COVID nineteen, we've got such levels of uncertainty in so many areas and so many ways, and for such a period of the foreseeable future, um, that people are because they they're out of routine, because they haven't got the usual sort of patterns and the usual comfort um, places and um, social rubbing up and down and meeting with people um, to alleviate some of their stress, uh, their levels of anxiety are very high. And if you've got very high cortisol levels, uh, you find it hard to sleep. You don't get good quality sleep. You don't get the deeper sleep. And that impacts on your whole health and well-being. So if you can express yourself in um, artistic fields and artistic ways you can help connect uh, with your deeper self it can help your identity expression and um, and give you a sense of uh, more of a sense of purpose in a time um, of great uncertainty. Uh, art's been used very effectively as an intervention therapeutically uh, for a number of people with mental health issues in the past, but this is a, a, a need now for the population as a whole to access much more. Now, some some can access things online, and there's even art programs online Deliberately designed to encourage people to explore during COVID nineteen and during a lockdown, but I think that um, having access to community facilities, um, to uh, cheaper rents or subsidised rents for studios, having places where people can gather and um, discuss art and share um, the insights, and having um, an actual outlet where people can produce and and uh, even, the work they've produced. I think this is all very much part part of supporting the community as a whole to um, be healthy and to um, be positive in a time that could be rather bleak.
1: I think that's right. I mean, we, we're, we're being asked as a council and as local boards to sort out among the things we're doing, those which are things that are core services and those which are nice to have. And as you say... Um, the arts uh, are not just nice to have. They're essential for people's recovery from COVID and for their for their well-being. I know in a previous life I worked for Arts Access Aotearoa and we did a lot of work with, um, with refugees who needed the arts to work through the trauma that they'd been through um, before they came to New Zealand, which was which was still with them, uh, and that's true of um, other people who, who have developed uh, anxiety and mental health issues through this uh, through this crisis. One of the organisations I'm on the board of is Asian Family Services, and uh-huh. we've just been funded by the Ministry of Health um, to do more work. To support Asian people on mental health issues because many of them um, find ignorant passers-by and blaming them for COVID. You know, they see uh. them, they see they look Chinese, uh, the fact uh. that most of them have been born here um, – you know just people seeking to to find a scapegoat for the terrible thing that's happened to their lives and and that they you know that just adds to their stress to get that sort of ignorant racist comment coming to them so we're we're happy to do that. And that's part of the government responding to the fact that these sort of services are even more needed for people's recovery. And I believe that most of what the Auckland Council's doing um, fits into that category as well. And so I'd encourage <clears> people to make submissions saying, no, don't cut the services. We need them. Borrow, borrow a bit more for a while to help us through this crisis, but don't take the austerity route. It doesn't work. hurts people even more.
0: Indeed. And on the subject of borrowing, I'm just wondering, uh, this is a technical question really, but um, I understood that Auckland Council had borrowed virtually right up to its limit and it wasn't actually able to borrow any more.
1: Is that correct? It's a a limit that they've negotiated with the people that they borrow from Mm. um, in normal circumstances. And these are not normal circumstances and and they should go back to them and say that in these abnormal circumstances we, we've got a plan for getting out of this but in the media, medium time, we'll, or short to medium term, we'll have to go above that if we're going to maintain our services and, and help businesses and others recover. It's not It's not a rule of nature. It's just something, a level of borrowing that that um, the credit agencies are happy with. I mean, what you're balancing against is is the comfort of the gnomes of Zurich who provide the loans as against the lives and employment of Auckland families. And the lives and employment of Auckland families comes first for me.
0: Right. That's, that's a very clear way of putting it. I'm sure that will help people when they come to deliberate about this. Um, <coughs> really... I, I do hear from some people that they think, oh, the inner city is going to go downhill because there are lots of empty shops, like the, the very expensive, exclusive brand label shops that are in Queen Street that were serving the cruise ships and so on, they're not really got the custom. They've actually given up their leases. They're in, uh, there's a lack of students, a lack of backpackers, a lack of tourists. Um, a lot of the pay accommodation places that were Airbnb, they're, not, they're empty. Um, a lot of the cheaper apartments and hostels are empty. And some of the apartments, the actual owner-occupier apartments are in a minority. They're not the majority in a lot of the cases. So, there's going to be some uh, sale-off of property in the inner city, I would, I would suspect, but can small businesses actually survive in the environment if people aren't coming in to shop, because they aren't coming in to work, because they aren't the tourists there, or they aren't there to study? Um, What's your view about the future of the inner
1: city? Well, it's certainly in in many ways a bigger challenge than most town centres because during this crisis people have actually gone to their local town mm. centre more yes. for shopping and discovered where the best cafes and things are. So it's a bigger challenge for, for the central city. But the central city remains um, the place for um, specialised retail. It remains... The entertainment centre of Auckland. It remains the place where the APO and the Auckland Theatre Company, um, you know, the, the the performer performers are at. Where the big events like Diwali, the America's Cup, the um, the uh, Chinese um, Lantern Festival. Those are places that are really important where people. Once we move moved out of this, these restrictions on social distancing can go together to find joy and togetherness, and that's um, something that um, ought to help um, the inner city recover and and refocus its life and and priorities on. Um, that's really vital for all of us. If if central city becomes a bit dead. It's really the heart and soul of the region that needs to recover as well.
0: Yes, well, I certainly know what it was like back in the early 2000s, um, and it wasn't the vibrant place that it's become. So, you know, a lot of the emphasis on um, the reconstruction of High Street, the uh, lanes, and the Laneways Festival and things like that that have all come about in recent times, it would be a shame to see all of that go backwards. So there is a real need to, um, I guess, focus on uh, level one when it's coming, um, what that might look like and how we can best encourage um, things to, events and things to flourish. That's right, and
1: and I see Phil Goff as um, urging on the government to um, restore um, the uh, overseas students. Uh, This is this is a a healthy, supportive place for overseas students, and of course they they'll need to take a couple two weeks isolation to make sure they haven't got COVID Mm. um, before they um, they. Start their studies, but once that two weeks is over, this is this is really a great place for them. They're they're safe physically, they're safe in their health sense, and they're oh. providing life to the city and viability to our tertiary uh, institutions, both public and private. And uh,
0: you know, on the counter note not to be totally pessimistic about the future of the city from the things I said earlier. I believe that um, there there could be quite a strong interest in um, the property market from the point of view of um, Chinese parents wanting to ensure that their offspring can study overseas safely and securely in in a, a good environment. And they're looking at buying property, and I understand there's quite a... An interest in Melbourne, but there's also, but Auckland also um, is in line for that kind of boom. So that's really going to be helpful, uh, I think, in uh, she- shedding more um, energy and light on um, a stronger future for the inner city.
1: Yes, I'd hope so. As you say, there are there are. Uh Empty spaces where businesses have closed down, so uh. it needs that sort of um, lift up. And but it is an opportunity for some people who, you know, as come in at half rents with a with a creative business, get it going, and then that that business might well grow and 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 pay the full rent in time. Um, I think it can be a win win. We're certainly encouraging that to happen.
0: I think so, and um, innovation and pivoting is going to mean um, more uh, courage and more uh, creative solutions come out of the woodwork. But uh, what I've noticed over um, Level 2 is the very exciting initiative, the Front Yard Festival, um, and that's you know something that um, seniors are benefiting from. Okay, um, I'm not quite sure now whether we've... Um, completely um, gone over our beeps and completely ruined the end of the program <laughs> or not I have to talk to Richard um, but look thank you Richard for coming in and um, thank you for that because I, I do think we need to get the message out to people and I'll make sure something goes on Facebook about this too.
1: Yeah we just encourage the listeners whatever you believe make a submission on this emergency budget and uh, and support those of the council services that you want to keep going
0: Right Indeed, and the deadline is the nineteenth of June. That's right. right. Thank you very much, Richard, for coming in, and we'll next time we'll be looking at uh, more social things on the ground and less weighty strategic things.
1: Thank you. Thank you Anne Marie.
0: Get together with Senior Focus next Sunday at 5.25pm on Planet FM 104.6 or listen online at any time at planetaudio.org.nz forward slash Senior Focus and do note Senior Focus is one word.